0: Listeners, welcome to the latest episode of Reno My name is Connor McQuivy. Thank you so much for joining me. This week's conversation is with Mark Kalen of Kalen and Ginger, the magicians behind the new walking tour in downtown Reno, Weird Reno. We had such a good conversation. I am so excited to bring this to you. We talked a little bit about Weird Reno, the tour itself, and a lot about magic, being a magician all of the different projects that Mark has worked on. It was fascinating, really interesting, and I am so grateful that he took the time to tell me about his career and teach me a lot about the importance and meaning of magic. It was a great, great conversation. So thank you, Mark. Before we get to the interview, a couple things I need to remind you of. As always, please do me a favor if you enjoy the show and let people know about it. I'm still trying to get the word out. I have a lot of support so far and I'm very grateful for everyone who listens to the show the best thing you can do to help me out if you would like to is just let people know about the show share links on Facebook put a post up whatever you can do to let people know this podcast is out there also if you have any feedback for me feel free to send me an email connor c-o-n-o-r at and now this week's guest Mark Halen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on Renoites. To start, I think let's um, talk a little bit about Weird Reno. So you are Mark Kalen, you and your wife Ginger are magicians and you have created this new thing in Reno called Weird Reno. It's a walking tour downtown. So to start, can you just tell me a little bit about what Weird Reno is and and, and how it started?
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's a hard thing to compartmentalize because I don't really know of... Uh anything out there that exists like Weird Reno because it's really an interesting and weird combination of things. It's certainly a walking tour, but not like any other walking tour <laughs> that I've ever experienced. It's a mixture of some weird history of Reno. Reno's got a really interesting history and background, a colorful characters. Uh, we still have colorful characters in Reno, but it's also, we mix that with magic I mean, our background is in magic. I started magic when I was nine, which is about 200 years ago. Everything I do has magic in it. Lots of humor, lots of audience participation. We start, our host property is the Renaissance Hotel, which if people have not been there, is just a fantastic property. Really supports the local arts and the local businesses. It's its own sort of fascinating property. And that it was my number one choice of where I wanted to Make our uh, central location. So everybody meets up there. We experience a little magic, an intriguing little setup. There's a time capsule, a variety of things. There's a little interactive magic. And then we set out on the streets to experience some of the more interesting locations. I find that a lot of people have not really been downtown very much. So places like the post office, now 50 South, just an astounding building that we go into, a sense of history built in the 30s, the courthouse, the story of Roy Frisch, who was a a federal witness for the government in the 30s, and he vanished right in the midst of what we know now as Wingfield Park. Uh, So it's meant to be light and fun, And uh, anybody that's been on the tour will probably be able to tell you that we draw people in with the name Weird Reno. And certainly there's lots of weird stuff. But really, it's a love letter to Reno. If you live here, you know what a gem it is. And it gives us a chance to put a spotlight on that.
0: Yeah, it's great. I really like that there is this option for a walking tour downtown Reno for people who are visiting who don't really know what to do in Reno. I think it's obviously a little different now in the last year or so with COVID, there's been you know changes to the amount of visitor traffic to Reno. But I've always felt like when people are here for work or a convention or something, and they don't know anything about Reno, we didn't really have a oh, here's this thing where you can walk around downtown and you can get a feel for what the city is and you can learn some of the history. There are other tours. I used to be a tour guide for Reno food tours, which is also a walking tour, but it's a different experience because you're going into the restaurants and it's very focused on those local businesses. There's still some of the history and some of the architecture, but it's it's a different experience than this larger group, kind of fun and magic, the character of the tours are different. And I always thought there needs to be something that's in this like 20 something dollar price range that you can bring your family with that only takes an hour, hour and a half Yep. that lets people see a lot of downtown. So when I heard about weird Reno, I was like, Oh my gosh, here's that thing that I was hoping would be in <laughs> Reno. Plus it's full of like magic tricks and yeah. you're putting your own spin on it, which I think is really great. How did you decide what the, the balance would be between how much magic and what places you go to and how much history and, and all of that. How did you how did you put it together?
1: I can tell you that we're still learning. I mean, it's an ever evolving project. We've we're now 4 weeks in. We've done a bunch of tours. We had a preview week. And you know, you know right away, people let you know right away what they enjoy. So we're still in that process. And also what's out there, what we've put out there, I'm very proud of, but I've got a billion ideas. And that's sort of our nature. It's like you just keep polishing something, you keep you let people sort of uh, respond. We're adding stuff all the time. We're trying stuff out. But the way it came about is kind of interesting because first of all, I would have to agree with you. I thought the idea of a walking tour like this was always a good idea. The first time we set out to actually do this was in 2008. <laughs> oh, wow. We used to have a theater downtown called Magic Underground at the Pioneer Center. And it was a, uh, a theater of magic and illusion hidden underground and sort of connected me to the community. I, at the time, I was president of the Riverwalk Merchants Association. So I was looking for an, any ways to, once again, sort of expand out of our theater and put the spotlight on Reno. And I happened to have a friend from England for 30 years. He's done a thing called the Bizarre Bath. Anybody that's been to Bath, England, will tell you, they've done the Bizarre Bath, which was the inspiration for this. His name is Noel Britton, and he does sort of a comedy walking tour, a little bit of magic, but Bath, England is quite a different city. Uh, But I always thought it was a good idea. So we started in 2008, but then the economy took a little twist. We ended up closing Magic Underground. Certainly didn't follow through with the walking tour, but that little seed had been planted, and I continued to think about it. We're project people by nature. I mean, I'm not happy unless I've got five projects going. Yeah. So I've thought about it over the years and over the years. And then, of course, this past year, in case any of your listeners haven't heard about it, there was a thing called the pandemic. Uh, magically appeared. Ginger and I uh, have been, for the most part, of the last five to 10 years traveling worldwide connected with a show called the illusionists which has been on broadway both working as performers but also behind the scenes creating magic and creating illusions for the show we had two years of contracts that magically ended in a day Hmm. but the plus of it is after sitting around for cleaning the garage 14 times <laughs> as we all did. And we started to feel disconnected and a little isolated. And uh, the, the idea was, gosh, other people must be feeling the same way and how can we bring magic and how can we connect the community and connect ourselves with our family and friends in a way that's COVID compliant and that will exist in this new normal And that was where the idea for a walking tour came from. Could not have a theater, could not pack people into seats, but you could get outdoors, get some fresh air, walk, and do some magic.
0: So you mentioned, Ginger, your wife, you work with your wife on, for your entire career on all this magic stuff. Pretty much. How does that work? Is that helpful for you on the tour to have a partner that you have you've worked with forever? Does that make a real difference, you think, working as a, as a team instead of just as an individual on something like Weird Reno?
1: It's been core to our career and to our lives. I mean, I had been in magic. I started magic when I was nine, did magic for a number of years. In fact, For most of the 80s, while Ginger was just growing up, (laughs) I was on the Las Vegas Strip with tigers and leopards and all kinds of flashy spandex outfits. But Ginger and I met in 1990, and she also was just an amazing performer, a really creative person. It was sort of a magical coming together. It wasn't long before we were married, and it wasn't long before all of our projects were sort of uh, uh partnerships and we really are a yin and a yang we are two completely different people she handles a lot of the coordination the money the business <laughs> i handle the creative in our home here we have uh, basically two offices in our home and there's a plaque on her office that says saving and there's a plaque on my office that says spending
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that gives you an idea
1: where we are
0: what are some of the the challenges that you ran into in getting Weird Reno off the ground? I know that COVID obviously there's some compliance stuff so there's masks and and distancing and it's great that it's outdoors and it's walking. How does it work as far as coordinating the logistics of it? We had a, I came on the tour this last weekend and it was a huge group. So you have kind of the technical aspect of additional employees and speakers, the, we go through businesses and through buildings. So there's obviously probably some coordination there. Can you talk a little bit about getting the, the logistical part off the ground and what that experience was like?
1: Yes. I mean, we started the first stop way back when we first started to really go after this, which would have been last September, October. Of course, at that time, nobody really knew exactly how long this pandemic was going to last. Some -hmm. people were predicting, oh, my God, it could go on for a month. (laughs) (laughs) So our first projected opening was October because we've always had last October because we've always had fun with our Halloween shows and thought it would be a good launch. So we started in earnest. Our first stop was the city to just what were what are we going to need for permits and special events? Are we gonna uh, are we gonna get a lot of walls put in our way? And quite the opposite, they were so inviting and so helpful and so encouraging that if you can do this and do it safely and do a way that, do it in a way that falls within the uh, governor's guidelines, we'll do anything we can to help you make this happen. And that's my experience with Reno for the last 20 plus years that we've been here with first a big casino show called Carnival of Wonders and then our own theater underground. One of the pluses for a business in Reno is they have a, well, why not attitude? And you don't get that everywhere.
0: Yeah, I think that's part of the character of Nevada in general and Reno as well is this kind of wild west, like we can make it happen, we're innovative i think that's kind of built into the character of of our city so i'm glad to hear that that extends to the business of uh, of everything that you've done so far here
1: well i do remember and i guess i'll leave them nameless it's a name you would recommend because they're in uh, local government here but i mean right at the beginning i said so you know who do we have to ask permission to do this and their comment was why do you have to ask permission just do it you know, you'll find out. And that, that's, I have to say again, the plus, or the one of the upsides of the pandemic is, it's sort of like this attitude, like, why not? What else are we doing? Throw Mm -hmm. it against the wall. If it sticks, it sticks. If it doesn't, you know, maybe we had some laughs. But I also became really aware over the course of the last few months, this is, this is something. People are gonna like this, people are gonna support it's you know, and then I have to say the other big momentous moment when we decided, okay, we're actually gonna do this, and we now have to find a host location. And I just sent a little information and in an email to Vicky Savini, and she is the general manager of the Renaissance, sort of expecting the usual. I may not hear from her at all, I may have to follow up with a phone call a lot of questions and what's the what's the insurance and I swear within five minutes I got an email back this is the most encouraging fun thing I've read since this pandemic started when can we meet and we met that same day 4 p.m at the renaissance and she welcomed us there she saw that if this could take place this was an outlet for people And for the city and they wanted to support that.
0: Awesome. That's so good so good to hear. I really enjoyed while we were on the tour, the response from the people on the street and the people in the restaurants as we walk (laughs) around, everyone's paying attention, everyone's looking at like, what is this thing? And I think that is it's fun. It brings this sense of activity to downtown that's not always there. I know we have a lot of businesses. There are people who, who are around the downtown area, but this is the first time I think I can remember. That I've seen these big crowds of people, except for, you know, we have like the crawls where the streets are right. full and we have these special events. But this is the first thing I've seen where on a regular like week to week basis, there's a big crowd doing a thing in downtown that's catching everyone's attention. If they're, yeah. you know, sitting at a restaurant looking out the window and there's this big crowd that comes by. I think that's really helpful, obviously, for advertising the tour and letting people know about it. But it also kind of creates this sense of, oh, things are happening downtown, there is activity. And even as we have a pandemic, and we're kind of coming out of it now, I think it's great that there is this sense of this visible, physical, tangible sense of people getting out there.
1: It's, you know what, I mean, all of our projects over the years have been very formalized, whether they've been in theaters or performing arts centers or arenas, this has a completely different mojo. This is try it, mix it up. You know, you get a weird idea or somebody suggests something, why don't we do it? And that's that's actually been the most fun is just getting a weird idea and just trying it out. I'm trying to think when you saw the tour, uh, were we doing our happy birthday? Yes, which was yes. hilarious. Super okay, fun. So, and we're not going to spoil it. No, yeah, but... we won't
0: spoil it, but it was a great twist on the tour and super, super fun. I Everyone think loved you it. saw
1: maybe the first or second time we ever did it. It was just an idea. And of course, as we do it more and more, it gets funnier and funnier and more bits and we learn how to do it. So I've got a whole host of those types of things. I've I do enjoy the magic and there is some really formalized magic and sort of a bookend into this thing, but the real fun out on the street is just going for it. And, and Hey, it's weird Reno. The people that
0: take the tour are weirdos. <laughs> so let's, let's do it. Let's get right. out there. Lean into it. Right. As weird yes, as you want to be. exactly. I mostly want to ask about a lot of the magician stuff in general, in your career, because I pretty sure if I remember right, I think I went to the Carnival of Wonders I'm sure when I did. was a teenager because it was yes. this big new show in Reno yeah. and I really liked magic as a kid. I'm not, I don't follow magic as much anymore. I think a lot of people kind of grow out of magic. Magic tends to right. be for, uh, not for kids, but I think kids are just captivated by the, the wonder of it. And they're just in awe. Of, like, how did that happen? And I think as we grow up, we sometimes lose that sense of awe and wonder a little bit. But when I was a kid, I loved magic. I remember I went and saw Siegfried and Roy for, it was probably my 10th or 11th birthday. My mom actually took me down to Vegas and I saw Siegfried and Roy. And I was blown away as you know, a young kid just being like, wow. It's not just how did they do that, but just the, the staging and the, the largeness of it all yep. was so cool. And then when you opened Carnival of Wonders in Reno, it was really neat to be like, oh, wow, we have a big magic stage show in Reno, too. So my mom took me to see it there. Can you tell me a little bit about Carnival of Wonders and sure. how that started and what the what the experience was like having a show on the, the big stage there?
1: Well, sure. And I'm going to I'm going to jump back for just a second to your comment about uh, magic particularly appeals to kids. Yes, that's true. However, real magic, I mean uh, good magic when performed well is an art. It's it's artistic at least in nature and uh, a lot of people might be surprised that if you go back hundred years or so. The theaters were full of magicians. They were the rock stars of the day. It was, you could see an opera, you could go see um, a Broadway play, or you would see the great magician of the day. And of course, what happened over time was the world progressed. And oftentimes through history, magic did not until, I mean, in my history of magic, I do remember uh, the seventies when Doug Henning first appeared And he was the first magician to wear jeans and dress in all these bright colors. Every other magician was wearing tux tails and top hats, which dated back to 1915 and birthday Mm -hmm. parties. And then the other thing is it depends on how magic is presented. I had somebody tell me, which I'm used to hearing. I don't normally like magic, but I like this because magic makes them feel dumb It frustrates them. And that's, if magic is presented as a puzzle, like I can do something and you can't figure it out, well, I would feel the same way. A good magician removes that and finds a way, just as a singer finds a a way to sing a particular song and make it their own, that's what a good magician does. It, It can appeal to all ages and it can appeal to the kidness. So anyway, that's a side road. <laughs> My defensiveness as a magician <laughs> speaking.
0: No, well, um, I well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you as well, kind of what what do you think makes magic such an interesting art that's different from other art forms? It is an art form. It is a performance, just like like music and acting and all of these performance arts. Magic is, like you mentioned, one of the long running, well established performance arts. What do you think is is unique or special about magic that sets it apart from those other things?
1: What can be more powerful than the experience of anything is possible? We live our lives with certain things that we, I mean, for, for the most part, magic really shouldn't exist as, as a form of entertainment anymore. You pulled your iPhone in your hand and there's more miracles in that. And yet somehow people are still drawn to the simple performance of magic. And I think that ties to the fact that it connects us to when we were kids, when anything was possible, it can make us feel powerful. It can be a connection to a more spiritual world out there. It's just a powerful thing. I mean, if you look at movies that combine, and this would be a good analogy maybe for magic, there's special effects movies out there that are just nothing but special effects. And some people like those cars blow up and spaceships fly by and you can, you can enjoy that. But then there's other movies, you know, I mean, here's an old reference E.T. But is a mixture of that with a story and with stuff we can relate to and good magic should be the same way. It shouldn't be a trick of somebody dealing cards it should be about the experience of wonder, and mm-hmm. it should have a story to it, and so I think that's what separates magic.
0: Sorry, I cut you off about the Carnival of Wonder. So, how did you bring oh, that? Oh, yeah, no, to, you did
1: uh, <laughs> I cut myself
0: off. <laughs> so, so yeah, how did you bring that to Reno, and what was the experience with the big show in Reno?
1: Ginger and I had spent a number of years performing as a uh, magic duo, very flashy Las Vegas style magic. We Uh, lived in Las Vegas. We had a a show that we were part of called Spellbound that ran for many years there. Also in that show was just an hysterical comedy magician by the name of Jeff Hobson, who would have been in the show that you saw. Mm -hmm. And while we were doing time in that show, you know, making good money and doing magic, of course you get to the point where you want to no longer interpret magic through, Who's paying the bills? The producer who wanted that just flashy, you know, just. And we had a vision and an, a, an idea for Magic. And we realized that between Ginger and myself and this guy, Jeff Hobson, we were sort of a show in ourselves. We had Ginger brought glamour, Hobson brought the comedy, I brought a certain amount of regular guy. <laughs> normalcy. I, I I could, I could just be the guy sitting in the audience the same as being up on stage. So we began planning a show and it was just, you know, I have a few times in my life where things go into creative overdrive. You're almost out of control. It just, it starts to flow and then it becomes a mission. It's how I first got into magic and how I first got to Vegas, that process. And that was the the idea of Carnival of Wonders, a mysterious traveling carnival that was kind of like life. You know, some things were funny. Life was funny. Life was scary. You never knew what was around the corner like at a carnival. So we just, you know, rather than just did tricks, we sort of used the different carnival realms, the tunnel of love to interpret the magic. Mm-hmm. which strangely seemed to be a new idea at the time. <laughs> we probably built the most unconventional casino show. And to be honest, we once we had this idea for the show and costumes designed and the sets, then we had to find a place to do it and sell it. And that for us was either Vegas, Atlantic City, Lake Tahoe or Reno. And uh, it was Reno that embraced us. And we had initially a three-year contract with Carnival. And then we eventually moved the show over to what's now the Grand Sierra. Back then it was the Reno Hilton.
0: Awesome. And then so you had your show here in Reno, but you've also done this big show on Broadway and you've done a lot of touring. So what has that experience been like coming from the Carnival of Wonders to moving the show kind of on the road into a bigger scale and that next phase.
1: You know, our career, my career, and then with Ginger has been about reinvention. I mean, we've been doing this a long time. I started Magic when I was nine. That would have been, when not do the math out there, 1969. I was pretty much performing full-time by the time I was 15 in 1975. <laughs> and then when I was in my early 20s was when I got the bug to go to Vegas and be all part of that. But for us, we came to Reno, we had this big show, Carnival of Wonders, and then we moved it over to one of the world's largest stages. It's an acre over there. We vanished the jumbo jet. You couldn't get more of a spectacle. But Reno was changing, becoming less of a destination for tourists. The casino business was changing. In the heyday... (laughs) And when we were just starting out, casinos still purchased a show, which means they say, I want that show. We will buy it the same way we'd hire an entertainer and we'll give you a three-year contract. And that business model changed and it made it a lot more difficult for producers, a lot more risk. You had to do your own advertising, oftentimes had to pay the crew. So that was taking place. So when we closed the show, which had been renamed over at the Big Hilton, the Illusiona- or illusionarium, we found ourselves with this big, giant show and not really a particularly good monetary thing to have because it would cost so much to run it. We built a monster and mm-hmm. there was not a business. So we did a really weird thing. We, I mean, going from one of the world's largest stages, we found this really bizarre space under the Pioneer that was just like a garage, cement floors and unpainted walls, and we transformed it into Magic Underground, which was a 200-seat underground theater and bar. (laughs) That was in 2003, and... Ran that for five years, doing shows, doing Halloween shows, Christmas shows, bringing in guest performers and just kind of having if you're a magician, that's your wet dream. There's your own private little theater underground where you can experiment with magic.
0: Yeah. What was it like going from the, you know, the big Vegas style show with the fire rings and the huge props and (laughs) all of that? To a to a smaller venue that's more intimate did you have to adapt obviously you have to adapt all of the illusions that you do, but is there also a change in the dynamic with how you interact with the audience or the the level of engagement what was what was that transition like?
1: Well, it was you know a struggle. it was new and uh, we always found throughout our career our competition was always ourselves meaning, it wasn't other performers or other shows. When we opened Magic Underground, people came down to this really intimate theater where we, where it was a whole different way to present magic, a little bit darker, a little more mysterious. And of course, we were competing with people who had seen us at this giant theater with a jumbo jet. And where's that jet? Well, it doesn't fit on this stage. <laughs> yeah, it was an adjustment, but as anything... It's, it was a learning experience. We grew as performers. I'm a firm believer that anybody creatively, you have to go outside your comfort level. If you're comfortable and you feel safe, then you're not you're not pushing yourself enough. So, we went from big production shows to an intimate theater of magic and illusion.
0: And then you eventually went back to the big theater performances, right? Yeah
1: we we were actually quite worried because. In 2008, there was a great change in the economy, as everybody knows. We could see that people were no longer booking in advance for our tickets. They were sort of cash out of hand. Also, we realized we built this great little establishment, but we were also subject to it. We couldn't leave it. We tried to leave it for a few months and put somebody else as performers and managers, and it was not a disaster, but it was disappointing to our customers. And to the people that had put their trust in us over the years. And we had things we wanted to do. So in 2008, we sort of tied that up with a little ribbon and closed Magic Underground. And over the five years we had it, we were actually pretty worried because we had lost many of our industry connections. We'd been out of the business underground for five years corporate shows and casinos and the market was different. It took us about a year to really get buzzing. But right at the same time was the debut of a show at the Sydney Opera House, I think in 2012, called The Illusionists, which was just the brainchild of this producer, Simon Painter. And it was sort of Magicians as the Avengers, specialties, the escape artist, the manipulator, the mm-hmm. trickster, blah blah blah. Well, it exploded that concept. Make a long story short with that, it went worldwide. The illusionist with many companies, it played Broadway five times, will play Broadway again. And in 2019 was purchased by Cirque du Soleil. And we got in within the first few months of that as performers touring with the Illusionists. And then it didn't take very long. It's my nature. Started coming up with ideas and tricks for the show. How do you make a train appear on stage? They wanted a turn of the century tr- locomotive to appear. I'll take that job. <laughs> Here's how you do it. So we ended up working with the Illusionists, still do. With the production company, of course, the pause in the last year, but as performers, as people that train other performers, as well as coming up with a lot of the concepts and ideas.
0: Awesome. How do you like the experience of traveling and touring compared to having a home base? Because the Illusionist was a traveling show, generally, right?
1: We like both, to be honest. Well, here's here's something that's absolutely true, and my I, my wife's you know, tells people this all the time. We have a daughter. She was born here. She's now 20 years old going to UNR. But by the time she was 13 or 14, I think she was on her third passport. (laughs) It had been stamped and filled so many times. So yeah, 30 hour flights are brutal and not being home and trying to manage that with a 6-year-old or a 10-year-old daughter and still have her in school is a challenge but of course the opportunity to see the world the other side of it to be able to be in our hometown and enjoy Reno and live life and mow the lawn on Saturdays mm-hmm. it's fantastic too so we like to do both and keep both doors open
0: you talked a little bit about how you've had to adapt and if you you know you're comfortable then that means you need to do something else do you think that the magic world in general has kind of changed over your career a lot? It seems like when you first started was the big Vegas stage show, a central part of the magic world. And since then I feel like it's gone to television, like in the, in the nineties, I guess maybe again, I'm not the magic expert you are, but I feel like there was this phase of television. Magic was huge. And there were these big television specials. There's been, Stunt magic, David Blaine, and where all of a sudden magic became less about the big stage presentation and these weird things that are out in public, and you know,
1: yeah, freezing yourself in a block of a endurance based things, and reality based things.
0: Yeah, yeah, these these physicality things. Yeah, so I wonder what's what's the trajectory or the kind of the story been of how magic has changed over your career, not just your specific shows, but the magic world.
1: Well, yeah, magic goes in cycles. Magic has changed dramatically over the course. I mean, when we go back to looking at the 70s and the 80s, I mean, when I first got into magic, the kings of magic then, first of all, magic at the time probably had one of its worst reputations because it had been relegated to some TV shows that were really kid oriented, whether it was on Wonderama or the magic world of Or most people experienced magic at a local birthday party where you're not seeing oftentimes (laughs) the best quality of magic. So coming into the uh, 70s, let's say from the 60s, magic was really at one of its uh, lowest forms. And that's when I got in it. But there were people out there traveling, doing cabaret shows and, you know, it was still alive. But then the fundamental change came in the mid 70s with the advent of Doug Henning, which burst onto the scene and didn't look or act like any magician that anybody would ever seen. Love him or hate him. He was Doug Henning through and through. I loved him. He was a great person since passed away. But he had a Broadway show, The Magic Show, and he wore jeans and a rainbow and the props were all psychedelic. So that really regenerated an interest because he also had in 1975, I think, a live NBC television special. I mean, he would only do it if they would do it live. And of course, nothing's ever done live because it can screw up. Mm -hmm. He was able to do that. He did it subsequently, you know, a number of specials. And then the next big change was David Copperfield came on the scene. And he really, more than anyone, perfected. I mean, magic was always a live art. You know, you could put it on TV, but it's kind of like when they show a Broadway production on TV. It is not the same as sitting in that theater. It just feels static. Unless you maybe like a couple years ago or whatever, last year, um, Hamilton did a beautiful job of bringing it live the camera. Well, in any case, magic had never really done well on TV. Something people said you had to see live. David Copperfield was able to figure out how to present magic on TV in a way that felt in the moment, compelling, and he also created a a whole, I mean, every special was full of magic you've never seen, which was also one of the problems with magicians doing the same tricks over and over for years and years. That really started magic and those TV shows you're talking about that throughout the 80s, Vegas exploded. And then magicians sort of followed the same disappointing road that they had in the past, particularly stage magic, which was they were enjoying all this success, all this interest. The public was hungry to see magic, And rather than being creative or pushing the art or progressing, they started to feed the public the same old stuff that had worked the year before and the year before and the year before. And that's a cycle that's played out with magic. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the reasons people don't like magic feels old to them, not current. Then you had, the With as much impact as Doug had, uh, Doug had and uh, David, then we had David Blaine. The complete opposite of what everybody said magic was. No beautiful outfits or hair blowing in a fan. No big stages and controlled environment. He was like a guy on the street with a pack of cards. And the most mm-hmm. brilliant thing he did, it was the first time that it wasn't about the magician he turned the camera on the people on the street and their reactions and it became fundamentally about the people watching it and their experience not about how good the magician is and so that started what's known now as street magic which is expanded in the current state of magic i would say when it comes to close-up magic, and a lot of people may or may not know this because it's not out on TV a lot, but tons of innovation in close-up magic and street magic and stuff. Stage magic is still lagging. There's still people stuck in those casino shows of 10, 20 years ago, and there's some exciting things happening, but nothing yet that's really expanded the medium.
0: Have you found it interesting and challenging to try to create new magic acts and and be part of that innovation. Is that something that drives you or something that you're interested in that that makes you keep on doing what you're doing is, is making something new?
1: It's, it's a (laughs) occupational hazard. I can't do what's safe. It's not fun. I love magic. I've done it my whole life. I'm only interested in what is a challenge and could go horribly wrong. I mean, considering that Ginger and I have made our career out of being on stage with proper lighting, makeup, controlled environment, big props, to go out on the street where almost anything can mess with that. Traffic, street people, uh, weather, it's like throwing yourself into and seeing if you can swim but i find that exciting and i think people can tell the difference
0: how do you think that the the internet age has changed magic because i think now you can google and <laughs> yes. you can find out how tricks are done or at, i think at some point it switched from magic being something that you if you didn't know how it worked then you couldn't know how it worked it was a lot of secrets and then there was i remember the yes. the mask magician thing where all of a sudden it was like revealing all the tricks which I'm sure angered a lot of magicians, but probably pushed magicians to to do something new. And then now we have the internet where there's, there's no secrets left. Everything is on the internet. You can search, you can figure a lot of things out. Do you think that in this like modern internet era, it is more challenging (laughs) or you have to, you know, do you have to improve the technical skills? Is that a big part of it? Instead of having a, a trick that's established and, and you know how it works, but everyone can figure out how it works. Does this, era of people knowing kind of behind the scenes a little more force you to up the technical skills or, or find a way to work around that new challenge?
1: I can tell you that the key word is new challenge there. Yes. I can tell you that I don't think magicians have answered it yet. They were, they didn't see this coming. Exposure has been part of magic since magic existed. You know, in the 40s, you could buy a pack of camel cigarettes and on the back was how to saw a woman in half or make her float. So magicians got up in arms about that. Didn't change it. People still wanted to see magic, even though they could, you know, figure it out. Masked magician, uh, who actually was a a magician is uh, by the name of Valentino, who I used to work the clubs with in LA in the 70s and uh, became the masked magician and exposed and, you know, everybody thought that was going to be the end of magic. What I can say is that, like you said, the challenge of the internet and that everything is available and that it can be found in a moment's notice is a new challenge. It's on a scale that struggling to deal with. I mean, first time I realized what a powerful tool the internet was, was when I was doing a trick at a which I very rarely do a casual party. And there says, Oh, we got some kids here. Will you do some? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I was doing the trick and I handed out, I said, you know, it's just a regular piece of rope. And this kid says, no, it's not. And he showed me his phone. <laughs> it's made like this. I'm like, wow, that's in real time. The plus side is that it has brought magic to a whole new generation that wouldn't have cared about it. I mean, if you are a teenager and everything you hate is, you know, the magician in the tales or the Las Vegas or whatever, it's all corny. You can go on and see all these people freaking you out on YouTube with magic. And it's brought up a whole generation of magicians that are like, foreign entities to me but you must embrace it because but they're but they are i was i grew up at a time when everything was about being original and and that's how you got the attention of the more famous magicians if you could do something original well the youtube generation it's more about replicating justin bieber can do that i can do the exact same thing and guess what I can make money doing the exact same. Everybody will love it because it's mm-hmm. exactly the same thing. So it's a challenge.
0: Yeah, is there just a attempt for people to replicate but put, but do it better? Is that kind of yeah. maybe where magic is, is is people are doing the same things but they want to do it with their own spin or in a better way or more technically proficient? Is there a focus on on the technical skills now that a lot of the secrets are out?
1: Oh, yeah. There, the, in fact, there's subgenres. There are some amazing performers out there that have own, don't care about the tricks, but they care about the technique with the cards, like fanning and rifling. and they put it to music and they do a, it's like an art. It's like a, a performance art. Here's something though, that still gives me some comfort as magic is weathering these ups and downs in the internet. I grew up in Southern California. So the experience my whole life of Disneyland was always magical. And of course it remains that way as an adult, somehow you walk through those gates and it's an indefinable something and you get excited. Well, we've all seen the TV shows that shows the animatronics and the tunnels underneath. And we can see exactly how it is all made. Mm -hmm. And yet when we walk through those gates, Something takes over and we forget about that. And I think on some level, and I talked about that holding a iPhone that's more amazing than any magic trick, something happens with people and exposure, seeing how it's done does not necessarily change the experience of magic or wonder.
0: What do you see as the future of magic? So obviously there's I'll be dead. (laughs) There's all these new new technologies, new tricks. Like you mentioned, it's kind of shifted from these these big stage shows to the audience being a big part of magic performance now. So who knows? Where do you think is uh, what's happening in the future? That's a really
1: I you know I don't know, and I I'm not the one to tell you. I'm I can answer almost anything about magic for the last fifty years, but I would say if I did know, then that would be. Uh, Bad on magic. Uh, you need to ask somebody that's 14 years old, just starting in magic now and see what they do with it. Here's what I can tell you a couple things. There's some amazing people doing amazing stuff out there. Uh, one gentleman I just fully respect is a guy by the name of Derek DelGaudio. Um He had a show on Broadway called In and of Itself, which I believe is still playing on on Hulu. And it transforms, it's not a magic show, it's a show of stories, it presents magic in a in a way. The his director and co-writing partner is Frank Oz. So I guess you'd expect good mm-hmm. stuff, but they're pushing the art forward. And here's another really dumb thing that should have been a long time ago. Uh, and we're fine, it's finally starting to change, but females in magic
0: Mm -hmm. i wanted to ask you about this because you've you've worked with ginger for most of your entire career a huge part of it and you are kaylin and ginger you are a duo but i think that there's this old-fashioned notion in magic of the magician's assistant and it's like some some (laughs) nameless lady in something skimpy and she doesn't get to be part of the show she's just that lady and it's great that for your entire career even from the the carnival of wonders, it was always Caitlin and ginger yes. as the stars of the show. So yeah. What yes. is it? What is The kind of like the gender dynamics? Well,
1: or? first of all, there you use that word assistant. That's the a word. We don't use that in our household. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's something that ginger has obviously had to deal with for her whole career. No matter how much she has accomplished, no matter how much she has put out there, and paved roads for tough roads for other females in magic, she still, to this day, gets questions like, do you know how he does his tricks? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, wow, really? But it's because it's a cliche that sticks. And it will, it is changing. And fortunately, Close Up Magic and YouTube is bringing a new generation of both young boys and young girls to magic. I think it's a, a throne that will be the next one in magic. The next David Blaine, Chris angels, Siegfried and Roy will undoubtedly be a woman. And the other interesting thing from somebody that loves the history of magic. And we talk about the history on the tour, go back to those, the, what they call the heyday or the golden age of magic. Uh, 1910 1920 some of the top highest paid magicians of the time were women we were there they were the tops of vaudeville and yet something changed either in magic or society that cut that that progress
0: but do you think that it's it's turning around again now and there's more inclusiveness and yeah that's encouraging to hear i'm i'm glad to hear that part of it that magic is kind of growing with the times and with society. I think, like you mentioned, there's. it sounds like there's a tendency in the magic world to be a little bit lagging behind the rest of the culture, but it sounds like there's progress being made, so that's good to hear.
1: It is. Again, it comes in cycles. It comes in spurts right now. Close-up magic, and which brings in YouTube and all that stuff, is exploding, and the innovation, which the public doesn't generally get to see because it's underground, it's on a smaller... I mean, you can see it if you're on YouTube, for sure, or TikTok, mm-hmm. even. But it hasn't really exploded on the grand scale for, like, TV shows and stuff. Although, I have to say, the illusionist is sort of... That appeals to a wide crowd. Again, it's, it's an image of the magician that's different than what people grew up with. And it is attractive to 17 and 18 year olds. And, you know, so fingers crossed magicians will not disappoint the public and will continue to innovate.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like what the illusion is too, having the, the whole team of different types of magicians, opens a lot of doors for different types of acts for different types of people, right? Well, you're
1: talking about, you just cannot deny it. The attention span of the average person, we're living a different world. TikTok and uh, shows like America's Got Talent, you don't want to sit there and watch one magician (laughs) perform for 35 minutes. Mm -hmm. So the illusionist, by having seven or eight amazing magicians could keep it moving. Boom, boom, boom. No segment more than three, four or five minutes. That's because the creator of the illusionist was a young person himself. And for the most part, didn't like magic. So he created a magic show for him. Hmm. Keep it moving. Keep it fast. Keep it amazing. And uh, don't make it longer than two minutes because otherwise I don't care.
0: Yeah, I think that that's not just in magic, but I think that's in basically every form of entertainment nowadays is attention spans are lower and lower and lower and lower. And, you know, like TikTok is one minute, I think, at the most for a video. And even with one minute videos, I I don't use TikTok myself, but when I see people looking at TikTok, (laughs) it's like they're not watching a whole minute of anything. Watch 20 seconds and be like, okay, that's enough of that one.
1: So, yeah, it, there's, a, there's a, a shared experience with the illusionist, Simon, who's from England. He is the be-all and end-all. And when you're trying a new piece of material or you're rehearsing, you know, we're getting a show up, you'll be thinking you're doing really good. And then from the darkened theater from the back, you hear, boring.
0: Uh, you're like, ah, we're, it's cut. I'm not going to make it into the night show. That's for sure. Um <laughs> uh, so where where can people find out more about Weird Reno? So I I've seen you have uh Facebook and lots of social media going on. I saw the there was an interview with the Reno Gazette Journal I think. So you're you're out there promoting it. How can people find out more about it? What's your website? Uh how do people get in the loop on what's going on with it?
1: So let's see. Number 1, everything's filtered through weirdreno.com. Uh, that's how you buy tickets. You can find out if you want a little more history on uh, Ginger and I on our projects, best show.com covers carnival of wonders and the illusionists and stuff. Of course, our Facebook page. Um, we just had to acquire WeirdReno.org because we printed out tons of promotional materials and realized we got the <laughs> website wrong. <laughs> it's like, Oh, we better get.org. So weirdreno.org. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, or just come down on the weekends and you can't miss 30, 40 people walking along, you know, acting like weirdos in the downtown.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of fun. And I'm glad that it has that strong street presence. And I'm glad to hear about the relationship with the Renaissance. I had not been down to the, the downstairs space where the tour starts. And I was impressed by, there's a lot of cool art down there too, because I, <sighs> I had an arts episode last week and talked about murals and some of the local muralists. And I didn't realize that that whole downstairs has all this cool art too. So I'm glad that there's a a great space, even though the tour is mostly walking in outside and talking about Reno history stuff and older buildings, that there's also an element of a cool space that is in Reno that people can go to. You know, the Renaissance has bars and restaurants and places to go outside of just weird Reno. So it seems like there's a good partnership there for you to, you know, bring some people into the building.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And by the way, what you talk about, all that art, that's all the work of Vicky. She commissioned local artists and taggers to, I mean, it's stunning. But if you look around that hotel, you'll find displays uh, that promote junky clothing, you know, local businesses. They are finally reopening the bocce ball, which is just amazing. uh, the, The games and the bocce ball. So we couldn't have been happier. We hope it's a long relationship with them because they've been so welcoming. And it's, it's just a great property that, again, there's so many good things about Reno that some people just because it's downtown, they avoid. And we're hoping that in a tiny little way, we can, you know, make people feel a little bit more comfortable coming downtown.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I think that that is one of the big projects for Reno is making downtown a more kind of automatic destination for people who want to do things in Reno. I think we all know that downtown exists, but a lot of locals don't hang out downtown that much. I live close to downtown, so I have a stronger connection, I think, than most Reno folks to the downtown area. But I'm excited to see that there seems to be more of a push to get people into the downtown area. And that's a long project from the course of you know creating the riverfront with the parks and the kayaking path in the river and some of these events downtown. And I'm glad that we're going to have something that is a consistent ongoing people on the street event in downtown to help revitalize that neighborhood. We've done a lot in Midtown. There's all this development kind of surrounding downtown, but the core seems to be the last piece of that puzzle. So anything that's happening right down near the river and right downtown, I'm always super excited to see.
1: Well, one of the things I just have to put out there also, one of the great things about the Renaissance, which they opened up to us right on the uh, beginning, one of the rarest finds in a downtown, free parking.
0: <laughs> they mm-hmm.
1: they have their valet, of course, but also a big lot. So it's really easy. That was core to us was that people were going to be able to, because believe me, Magic Underground that was a challenge. We were not only underground, but parking back then was a real challenge in the downtown. So, it makes it really easy. You can come there, you can park, you can come in, you can have a drink, have coffee, have dinner after
0: and, uh, and get out and get healthy on on the way, hopefully. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and telling me about Weird Reno and a lot of stuff about magic. Like I said, that was mostly what I wanted to ask you about was the magic <laughs> industry and your magic career because I think it's such a cool and unique career path that the there's not that many major working magicians. There's not room for it, I guess. You know, there's only so many shows. There's only so many venues. So being able to make a career out of something that you love and care about with magic and then take that experience and adapt it into something that is perfect for the city of Reno and that is helping drive traffic and business to neighborhoods that need it, to give families an option and people who are visiting an option of a way to learn about Reno and see what's going on here i think those are all super valuable and it's really cool that you get to take your career of magic and turn it into something like weird reno it's it's red thank you
1: i uh so appreciate the support and i appreciate you helping us spread the word
0: yeah yeah i think that as a person trying to get the word out about stuff myself you know this is a brand new podcast i really appreciate the um I don't know, the collaboration that comes between people in a town this size who are doing things that they want to promote. So it's a lot of fun to talk with people about their projects and let people know about all the fun stuff that's happening in Reno. I think this is a vibrant city with tons of things going on. So I'm always happy to, you know, put the word out there. Yep, It's a lot of pride, a lot of passion Absolutely. I think that that's one of my favorite things about Reno is we've got people who really care about the city and really love this city. And it's obvious that that you and Ginger are passionate about Reno and bringing something good to us. We are. Listeners, thank you again so much for joining me for this week's episode of Renoites. Let me know what you thought. Leave me a comment on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and Instagram as Renoites. Feel free to follow me there and let me know what you think of this episode. I'm always excited to know what listeners would like to hear from the show, so please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you again for listening this week.